We continue now in 1 Peter. And we are now in chapter 5. With uh, We're approaching the end. And it has been a pleasure to teach through this. I hope you all have all been blessed as much as I have. Last week we were in this section of 1 Peter 5 verses 1 through 4. We are, as we approach the end of this letter, we realize that Peter wants to make sure when he writes to these people that they realize who they are. They belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. They have a wonderful Heavenly Father. Nothing is coming upon them by chance. But this has all been foreordained and it has been for their good. They are to glorify God through this and continue to do good. So, we have... They need to know who they are and what is expected of them during this time. Uh, Being persecuted is no excuse for sinning. They are still supposed to live a holy life. They're supposed to still uh, live for each other. They have been called into the church and the church is a body. They are to love and care for each other. And at the end of Chapter 4, Peter tells them that they still, though they suffer according to God's will, they are to entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. (coughs) Things are bad, but you ought to continue to do good. The suffering is only temporarily compared to the eternity that's ahead of you. Christians always look ahead. All right, so that brings us up to chapter 5. We covered a couple of verses last week. We may finish up this morning. So let's have 1 Peter 5 read for us by Jill. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, that may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, our our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you. 
and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. The, this chapter can be broken down into three parts. The first part is where uh, Peter is instructing the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. And that goes through verse 4. And then beginning in verse 5, he turns to those that are under the elders, the church, the laymen of the church, and he gives them instructions. And then from verses 12 to verses 14, uh, final greetings. So that's today we will finish up looking at the instruction to the elders, and then we'll get into what the other people in the church, the younger people, are to be doing. Okay. Um, the In your notes, in the first part of that, on verses 1 through 4, these people need wise and skilled leadership. So, Peter is going to give them instructions. For them to survive, they're going to need wise and skilled. And this is the prescriptive way of leadership in the Bible is by elders. The biblical way of church government is by elders. And then the elders had necessary qualifications as shown in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. And the head of the list is to be above reproach or blameless. And then that's broken down. And then the last thing we saw is that Peter considers himself a fellow elder. And he was also well qualified to write this because he was an apostle. He had been with Christ. He had denied Christ and he had been restored and he had been told to tend the flock. So he is well qualified, but he is a fellow elder. He is not the first pope. He is a fellow elder. All right, now this is where we got to, I believe, last week. So this week in your notes... Peter gives the elders instructions. They are to shepherd their allotment of God's flock as overseers. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, exercising oversight. <coughs> and But there's certain ways to do it. One is not under a compulsion. They're supposed to willingly and eagerly do this. They have been given a weighty responsibility they're supposed to willingly do it. They're not to do it for profit. It says exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willfully, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, or I think King James says filthy lucre. Is that right? So they are supposed to do it not for gain, not for profit. And then not domineering over those in your charge. This is probably the hardest thing for an elder. They're supposed to take care of the flock. They're supposed to exercise discipline when one of the sheep goes astray. But then again, they're not supposed to be domineering. So they have to kind of walk a fine line in there. So they should be in much prayer for wisdom from God to do this duty. It can be very easy to be domineering. It's part of the flesh. 
And they have a certain number of people in their charge, according to this. Each person should be answerable to an elder. Okay, and then finally, as godly examples, the elders are supposed to be examples to the flock. Um, of course, in First Timothy, we read that they are supposed to be blameless or above reproach. And in other places too, the elders are told to live exemplary lives. You can't live like the devil and be an elder. Now, the one thing I really wanted you to take away from that, unless you're an elder, was that the elders are very important. They're the leaders. They hold Their responsibility is to hold the people together to keep the sheep from going astray. And we read in 1 Peter, excuse me, we read in 1 Timothy that there are and Titus, that there are certain qualifications for being an elder. The people should know those qualifications. They should especially study those before they ever elect an elder. And the same goes for deacons too. We read in First uh, Timothy, there are qualifications for deacons. And they're not, they're, they're fairly close together, the qualifications. So, if you want a good church, if you want a church that is faithful to God, if you want a church that can hold together during tough times, you better be careful when you elect an elder. You don't want anybody in there that's in there for business reasons or they're egotist or something like that. They have certain qualifications, and it's good to know what they are. And it's also good to know what they are in case one's not doing their job. And they should be removed from eldership. And I'm not going in on how to do that or anything. But that's why it is important to know that. If you see me teaching heresy, if you teach me out on the town on Saturday night doing things that I ain't supposed to be doing, you should remove me. <laughs> so that is important. All right, any questions? Uh, on the qualifications for elders or anything the elders should be doing or should not be doing. Okay. Now the spirit of the Reformation Study Bible says the shepherd imagery suggests care, protection, discipline, and guidance. So the officers of this church are supposed to be caring for you, protecting you, that is from heresy. Discipline you if you go astray and guide you. We do that through preaching and teaching and fellowship. This is what makes a church strong. Then in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, who's the chief shepherd? Anybody got any idea? Okay. Jesus. Jesus, yes. The Pope. The Pope, yeah. Yeah, that Joshua reminds me of the Sunday school days. Every time that question's asked, if you answer Always. Jesus, you're probably going to get it right. <laughs> yes, Jesus Christ is our chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd, as is made perfectly clear in John chapter 10, literally in the Greek. He is the shepherd. 
the fine one, namely the fine shepherd. And so, he being the chief shepherd, the elders are the under shepherds who will give an account. Let's have Hebrews 13, 17 read for us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. If people would do this, the church would be so much more stronger. Now, obey your leaders. Now, the leaders are supposed to know the Bible. They're supposed to know what you're supposed to be doing according to the Bible. They're supposed to know what you're not supposed to be doing. So, if you have a faithful leader, you are submit to submit to them, as long as they're not telling you to do anything that's unbiblical. Because the elders are keeping watch over your souls. In other words, they're supposed to know the Bible a lot better than you do and teach you and be an example because the elders are going to have to give an account. We will have me and Charles and Kim who are going to have to stand before God and give an account of how faithful we've been. This doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but have they been faithful? And the Lay people are supposed to make the job easy for them. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So we are supposed to be good examples as elders and not domineering, watching out for your souls. And the people are supposed to make the job easy for the elders. And my opinion is people here are doing a good job of that. They are doing it. There's been one or two come through here that think, I want to see how hard I can make it for the elders in this church. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think we're, my opinion, from what I can see, we are doing right well. And I appreciate that, and I know Charles and Kim do too. All right, so much for the elders. Anybody have anything else on that? We were going to turn to the younger people. Um, they will receive a nice... If there is an appointed time for, the, for Jesus to appear, and faithful elders will receive a nice reward. And in regard to that, I want to read what Edmund Clowney says in his commentary here. First Peter. He makes this statement here. And this is a quote. <clears throat> to be sure, the work of the chief shepherd is as distinctive as is his person. He is talking about the chief shepherd, talking about Jesus now. Uh, he is the only Lord of the flock. The shepherd's rod is in his hand, and it is a rod of iron, for he is the judge of the nations. He goes before the flock, first to the cross, then to the throne. By his spirit he gathers the sheep the Father has given him, for he knows them, and they know his voice. At the last, Christ, the judge of all, 
or divide the sheep from the goats as no merely human shepherd could do. Yet the Lord of glory calls human beings to serve, to serve him as shepherds. By his grace, they too may taste the sufferings and glory, and so have fellowship with him. When Jesus recommissioned Peter, he said, follow me. Jesus, the chief shepherd, calls every under-shepherd to walk in his steps. I thought that was well said by Ed McClellan. wanted to share that with y'all. All right, we'll move on now to the younger people, finally. In your notes, God has given the elders of the church instructions on shepherding the flock. Now he turns to those that are younger. They are to not to be a burden. Verse 5, not to be a burden. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So they're not to be a burden. So Peter gives instructions now to the younger people. Okay. Um, says, submit to the elders. Now, the, in the English here, uh, it says, you younger, be subject to the elders. And this is the office of the elder. It's not older people. Uh, the, the Greek word there is presbyteros. So he's talking about the officers of the church. You younger people. Be subject to the officers of the church. And as Peter has taught before, they are to humble themselves before others. We are to be submissive. We are to be humble. And there's a very good reason for that. Uh, and also they're supposed to cast their anxiety upon God. Which means you're to pray. You cast your anxiety upon God. You pray to Him. You're going through a tough time. Go to your Father because He cares for you. They're supposed to be sober-minded and to be watchful for Satan and to resist Him. It says, Clothe yourselves with humility for God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you. So in your notes, it would be extremely hard to face persecution if they did not practice submission. If elders weren't respected and the people did not submit themselves to each other, there would obviously be a lack of unity. And if you're not united, you're not going to be able to stand up against the world, the flesh, and the devil. So submission. Also, if they were not humble, God would be against them. God opposes the proud. If you're a proud person, you're in opposition to God. If you're a humble person, His grace is upon you. There's no room for pride in God's household. They would not persevere 
if they humble themselves at the proper time, God will exalt them. So God is either going to exalt you or he's going to bring you low. You don't want to be opposed by God. If the world is persecuting you, you don't need another enemy. You don't need God to be your enemy. Okay? In your notes, they should realize that God does care for them even though he allows the persecutions. They are not to cease to pray, but to be even more diligent to do that, do that because God cares for them. God cares for you. You should be praying to your Heavenly Father. You should be casting all your anxieties upon him. All right, and also, as the scripture says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Verse 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So they must stay awake and be on their guard because of Satan or the devil. It's a shame that most of the churches do not even believe in the devil. And the devil does devour them because of that. Okay, he wants to devour them. And he will not only use persecutors but he will also destroy their unity. The devil can be in the persecutors and the devil can be in the church. And he uses both. Anything to destroy their unity. And Jay Adams puts it like this. While Christians doze, the devil sneaks up on them. Then like a roaring lion, he pounces upon them. So we're to stay awake, we're to be sober-minded, we're to resist the devil, we are to know his schemes. We must know our enemy. Because if we don't, he will devour us. Okay? Resist him, firm in your faith. So, to resist the devil, they must be sober-mindful and watchful, according to verse 8. Stand firm in the faith. Of course, you have to know the faith to stand firm in it. Guess what? You have to study the Bible a little bit. Stand firm in the faith and realize that other Christians are suffering too. You're not in this alone. The whole body of Christ is subjected to it in one way or the other. And keep in mind their glorious future. Their reward will be great. And then Peter adds a doxology in verse 11. Verse 11. Okay. And I need this last page handed out. Braden, I'll get you to hand this out. I'm not sure if we're going to get to this page. Uh, the doxology is to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So these things are all going to result in God's glory being displayed. It's in a wonderful way God will exalt His people to His own glory. So you blank there as Peter adds a doxology. And then in verses 12 through 14 are Peter's, Peter's final greetings to the church. He states in all of this the grace of God. Uh, says, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Okay, so two things that he's really brought forth in this. One is declaring the true grace of God, and then because of that, we are to stand firm in it. And he's told us, he's declared the grace of God, and he has told us how to stand firm in it. Alright, he begins this section by saying, Sylvanus, a, by Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. Now, Sylvanus. Um, Peter probably dictated this letter to Sylvanus. It's called, let's see if I can remember that word, Emmanuelinus. Emmanuelinus. Okay, thank you. Um, which is more or less like a secretary. Sylvanus, the Emmanuelinus. The Emmanuelinus, okay. I always have a hard time pronouncing that word. Thankful. Thank you, brothers and sisters. Okay, now. Let's look at Sylvanus for just a minute. Um, also, Silas is another way of saying that. One is in Greek and one is in Aramaic. But Sylvanus actually helped Peter in some ways. All right, we see that he probably wrote this letter for Peter. Peter dictated it to him. So Peter would be the author. But Sylvanus would write it down. Now, Somebody, let's see, I've had Dana, if you look up for us, Acts 1540, Braden, 2 Corinthians 119. Now, in Acts 1540, we see that Sylvanus was with Paul in his second missionary journey. Let's have Acts 15.40 read for us. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So here we have Silas knowing Paul very well. He went on Paul's second missionary journey with him. Okay. And then if you look down to 16.25... We see that about midnight, they're in jail, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And then, of course, they confront the Philippian jailer. So he was in prison with Paul. Because on Paul's second missionary journey, he also suffered in prison with Paul. 
Look at 2 Corinthians 1.19, and we'll have that read. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed against you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. All right, 2 Corinthians 1.19. I'm at first Corinthians, hold on just one second. Okay. Um, so Silvanus, Timothy, and Paul were there together. He was a co-preacher with, so with Paul. All right? And then look at 1 Thessalonians 1. 2 Thessalonians 1 starts out the same way. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. So he helped minister to the Christians at Thessalonica. So the point I'm trying to get across to you <clears throat> is that he was well qualified. Your blank there is he has some qualifications. If these people that Peter was writing to had any questions, they could trust Silas. Silas most likely delivered this letter to them. He was a faithful brother and he had some qualifications. He was very much acquainted with Paul. He heard Paul teaching. He heard saw Paul living. He was a uh, preacher along with him on his second missionary journey. All right, we'll finish this up here. Paul exhorts them to stand firm in the faith, verse 12. This would be necessary to successfully endure their persecution their temptation would be to waver. Yeah, you cut the trial short, you deny Christ, the pressure's off. But you won't have the favor of God. Babylon most likely refers to the church of Rome in verse 13. She who is in Babylon greets you. Rome was in the New Testament about the same thing as Babylon was in the Old Testament. A persecutor of the church. And in that verse, it says, She who is in Babylon. You find that here. Yeah, it's a feminine pronoun. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. So he's writing from the New Testament Babylon, Rome. All right, there to greet each other with a kiss of love. Just a question. Okay. Couldn't Babylon there be Jerusalem? And she the church a lot in of, Jerusalem? A lot of people would hold that. I don't believe that's so, but uh, yes, it could be. That's your question. Yes. Well, I mentioned to Mark. <laughs> yeah. So I figure Mark is there. Yeah. Um, there's great scholars on both sides of that. So yeah, it very well could be. In fact, you know what? I, I, no problem at all with that because I think Ken Gentry takes that view. Greg Bonson takes it that it's Rome 
I think Ken Gentry says it's Jerusalem. They were both places where Christians were persecuted greatly. Okay. The commentary I was reading from said Rome, so I just I took that. You know, that's not a unanimous scholarly opinion. <coughs> Let her greet each other with a kiss of love in verse 14. This is referred to as a holy kiss in other places. Um, the idea is warm, close fellowship. A lot of commentators say it's kind of equal to a handshake now. All right, and the last sentence of this epistle is often overlooked. They can have peace only because of what Jesus Christ went through to remove God's wrath from each one of them. All in Christ have peace with God. All outside of Christ are still at war with Him. So, peace to all who are in Christ. All Christians, but only Christians, have peace with God. Yes? We have skipped five or six entries prior to this last part. Uh-huh. <coughs> you must not have got a page. Did everybody else have that page? Maybe you missed it. Okay. We'll get with you and get you caught up. That's okay. Okay. Sorry. Okay, so this wraps up First Peter. Um, I've enjoyed teaching it. I hope y'all have enjoyed hearing the teacher. So that brings us to the end, and I'll ask um, I'll ask Val if he'll close the second prayer, please. Holy Father and our God.